Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Jasmine Star Show. I'm currently in my closet where I do all of my recordings with my daughter just outside of the door, ready to bang on it and let us know that she's here. But in my brief moment of silence, I am toasting with a bottle of Topo Chico sparkling water because I am so excited to share today's episode with you. It's an interview I had with Katie from the Sasha Group on their podcast, Building While Flying. In this interview, we discuss why you don't need to be the most talented to have an epically successful business, the difference between an online business and a digital business, how to figure out what is at the core of your brand, and a heck of a lot more. Katie was an incredible interviewer, and it was an honor to be on this podcast. So while the podcast is called Building While Flying, let's fly right into the show. That was cheesy. I know. Just deal with it. So welcome to this week's episode of Building While Flying, where our guest this week is Jasmine Starr a photographer, business strategist, and the founder of Social Curator, which is a social media marketing membership for business owners. And with her great amounts of chutzpah and hustle, Jasmine empowers entrepreneurs to build brands, market on social media, and create a life that they love, which I love. Welcome to the show, Jasmine. Thank you. I'm very honored and happy to be here. Uh, well, let's dive straight into a bit of your origin story. We were just talking about the fact that you were there in Newport Beach, California. Um, tell me a bit about kind of Jasmine Star, where you started out, what what path you took, and what brought you to where you are today as a as an entrepreneur yourself. Yeah, we have different iterations of where we pick up the origin story, right? So Gary often refers to it as like. Um, issue one of like your action story, like your series, right? I don't know if we should start there. I kind of feel like throughout the course of the conversation, we will go back and tap in and fill in the gaps. I do know that the origin story for me coming into being a founder, which is a new title that feels like a jacket that might be a little too small. Like I'm trying to get in. I'm like, I'm not quite sure I identify with this uh, title, but um, my iteration, my growth as a founder would really start for me in 2017 and Mm. really developing like the strength and the courage to do that and really found my feet underneath me after attending the four D's. So four D's is part of VaynerMedia um, at the time. I'm coming off of building a career as a photographer and I decided to be a photographer and I didn't own a camera. I am a law school dropout. I'm a first generation Latina, first generation college student. So here I am used to the grind and used to working for everything you want and get and had built out a really strong brand by way of education and connecting with people and creating content. It was something that I loved. And then I saw a gap in the market and the gap in the market that I saw in early 2017, which is what I kept on hearing from business owners was three main pressure points. And it's very common to hear for me to hear Gary say, you want to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. Solve a problem, you have a business. And so the consistent problems that I started seeing is pattern recognition would come back down to number one, I don't know what to say on social media. Mm-hmm. Number two, I don't have anything to post. And number three, things are changing so quickly that it feels like I have a second full-time job on social media. Yeah. And so 
the pressure points that I really wanted to step in and alleviate from small business owners was, can we empower people to find things to say? Can we empower them with things to post? And can we be on the cutting edge of social media marketing and empower small business owners? So in May 2017, went to 4Ds with this idea on the tip of my tongue that doesn't have a name yet. The the, the new iteration of the business doesn't have a name yet. And I'm like, you know, um, it's a thing I want to do. And uh, uh, I stuttered, stepped. You know, um, at the 4Ds event, you have the opportunity to talk to Gary and you can ask one question. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I think I asked the world's stupidest question. And I don't even remember what it was. I just remember had nothing to do with the business. I was so nervous. It made no sense whatsoever. We still rolled with it. And it was then that I really understood that it was time for me to get out from under um, leading by way of monetizing education and Mm. showcasing what it would mean to create resources and solutions. And in July, 2017, we launched Social Curator which was it started its first iteration as a membership. So we provide 30 caption templates so that people can have a go-to fill in the blank, figure out what to say on social. We provide a gallery of images that people can pull from for their social collateral. And every month we have a concerted effort of planning. How are you going to market your business on social? This is your Mm one-two shot. Read it, do it, let's get it done. Accountability. And since then, you know, it started off as like, we're providing resources. And since then, you know, Now in 2020 and moving into 2021, we have this opportunity to use tech to become Mm -hmm. anticipating needs, uh, formulating according to industry modification. So this past year, I went from uh, really saying, oh, we are a membership to moving into we're a tech, like we're a tech company and we're going to be building out a platform for our users to have resources. So super exciting, very nerve wracking. And when we talk about building the plane on the way down, I'm like, I think I'm about two inches off the ground (laughs) and we're still trying to make it work. So we're good. We're really good. But I love that everything foundationally started out with education and with your a, a kind of drive to really figure out how to help lift others. Can you talk a bit about where that sort of started out and where you got some of those early skills yourself in figuring out the, the platforms and how to educate? I am so thankful you asked this question because I think that based on the conversations I have with entrepreneurs, when I encourage people to lead with giving, is mm-hmm. that how you earn trust, which is the currency on the web in the 21st century, mm-hmm. is by sharing what you know. And a lot of the trepidation early comes from, I, I don't know who I am to share this. There are other people who know more and do more. There are other people who do it better or it's all been said before. This is classic, different amoeba-like changes and transformations from the imposter syndrome. So back in 2000... Back in 2006, my husband gifted me a camera. Now we had no money. We are literally piecing together. I dropped out of law school. We got married on a shoestring budget. He was with the startup company. We had no money, but he went out of his way to find a very simple camera and he gifted it to me. And he said, why don't you try this for a year? And if it doesn't work out, you can go back to law school and get your scholarships. I got mm-hmm. a full ride scholarship to UCLA. So I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And what I started to do during that time was I had no money. So I started a blog and mm-hmm. I just started documenting the journey. And in my unknowing, now remember blogging in 2006 and 2007, this is like early blogging days. And to show up in your truest self 
and to put content out. And in a way it was freeing because nobody was reading my blog. Like nobody knew it existed. Here I was a girl who said she wanted to be a photographer without a camera. And then I just started sharing my journey. I didn't have money to buy gear. So I rented gear. Um, The very first lens that I bought, I wrote a whole blog post. Like I bought this new lens. And the worst part of this is I made up the name of a lens that actually doesn't exist. <laughs> and so I said, I got this really lens. And then of course, of course, nobody ever leaves comments. Nobody's saying anything at this time, but the trolls come out and they're like, oh, of course. That lens, the trolls just descended. And I knew at that time I had an opportunity to cower and shrink in my shell or to say, hey, haters, Thank you for teaching me about photography for free. Let me amend my blog post and let me continue to create content. So what I learned early on was that the way that you built trust, both with industry peers and potential clients was to really own your story mm-hmm. and share what you know. And that really started early on for me in 2007. And I started blogging a ton. And at the time... It was a mix of me starting a business, me learning photography, and also certain aspects of my life. Things like where I went um, on a date, mm-hmm. how I decorated my tree for Christmas. And lo and behold, at the height, this was around 2008, I was getting around 25,000 unique views on the blog post a day. So we started creating community of people who just wanted desperately to connect on the internet. Yeah, And then it kind of just sharpened my teeth to social media. And that's when I started using social media around 2008, 2009 with Twitter. I think that's such an interesting point because it, it really does show that in the early days when you're finding your voice and settling into something like that, and, and in your case, kind of finding a, a career, uh, you know, or, or, or a passion for photography and really building your skills out there, you were experimenting and playing in one channel, which is blogging. And like, becoming super comfortable in that channel. And it happened to be at a time when, you know, blogs were just, you know, such mm-hmm. a rich kind of space, almost in the way that, you know, podcasting has become today. Or, you know, when Gary began the kind of vlogging on Wine Library, he was sort of head yes. of the curve then. It's, it's, yes. And then just getting comfortable in that medium and building community there, you don't have to necessarily have jumped into 1,400 places in the early days. And that kind of gave you an opportunity to, to build your foundation as it were. Absolutely. And this is something that I preach as well. If somebody, let's just say that there is an entrepreneur who's just getting started and doesn't know where to begin. I am not an advocate to immediately jump into um, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube. I really do come to advocate owning and feeling comfortable on a platform of choice and then creating anchor content that you can Mm -hmm. then share on other social platforms. You don't want to work harder. You want to work smarter. So I still advocate for the exact process that I went through because you learn more about who you are and your voice when you can hone your focus in. I love that. So so there were you in the early days. You documented your journey, found your, your, built yourself into a photographer and kind of really, obviously that year paid off and continued on beyond that first, the first year of just try it out. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. at what point did you realize there was more to kind of the just documenting and that there was an opportunity to sort of shift it into something else? In 2006, it was January 1st, 2006, I had unboxed my camera. Now, I got it as a Christmas gift. So December 25th, 
2005, I opened the camera, but 2005 was such a hard year for me. I had dropped out of law school. My mom had a relapse with brain cancer. I didn't know what I was doing. I really truly felt, I was 25 at the time and my mom was 50 and I felt like I had a midlife crisis, truly, because mm. I thought I have 25 years left in my life. I don't want to die a lawyer. And I just want to, I, I was so touched by the gesture. And I know people often laugh when I say that, but it was really my truth. I did not want to die a lawyer. And so I, I looked at it and I said, I can't unbox this camera and give the power to a year that literally broke me. Mm. It was also a year that I struggled deeply and wildly with depression. And so January 1st, 2006, it felt like a new beginning. That is when I opened my camera. And in my mind, I'm just like, watch out world. There's a brown girl in town and I'm about to shoot up the city. <laughs> and I remember, I still have these photos. I still have these photos. They are actually on my very first blog. Uh, I roamed the streets of East Los Angeles and I was taking photos of murals in East Los Angeles. And these photos are so bad. There are people, 99% of the listeners right now with their iPhone can take better photos than I was taking with a professional camera. It's neither here nor there. I wasn't bad. I was terrible. And you kind of had this moment of <laughs> reckoning, like, like, wow, I don't, I'm much better in my mind. And to go from that to three years later being voted one of the top 10 wedding photographers in the world. There was like a three-year incubation period that proved, that truly proved, much to the chagrin of the canon in the photo and art world, mm -hmm. that brand supersedes talent. Because what happened is as a creative and as a photographer, I was selling a highly sophisticated product, aka my photos, to mm -hmm. a highly uneducated audience. Mm -hmm. Because the consumer was not buying according to aperture or blowing out a depth of field. The consumer is buying on what? Emotion. And I was able to tap into that, not by way of charm or wit or money or wittiness. I was able to tap into it by sharing who I was because consumers aren't buying photographs as much as they're also buying the experience with their photographer. And people aren't buying a cake as much as they are, but choosing to buy from a baker on the internet who they have a relationship with. Mm -hmm. That changed the game. And in those three years of just slodging along and then all of a sudden quickly rising to notoriety in the international market and subsequent years thereafter being voted one of the top five most influential photographers and top five most socially influential photographers. These are big awards that were coming to a girl who didn't know what she was doing and who quite honestly, people can search on the internet. People have a lot of opinions. She's not that good. And I'm here to say to anybody who feels or people have told you're not that good. You don't need to be good. You need to be personal and vulnerable and serve your customer. And they are the people who will put you where you want to go. Right. And I think what that really speaks such volumes about as well is that there is something at the core of what is the Jasmine Star brand that has carried through from you building a photography business through to you being able to express and, you know, bring them your, your message, but also educate others. Can you talk a bit about that? So what is at the core of the brand as, as like, not just you, the individual, but what is at the core of the, your growing brand and portfolio of companies mm -hmm. when you think about, um, you know, the, the values, but also the kind of place that you occupy mm -hmm. in, in the market? If we had uh, a red piece of thread to tie the different iterations that the business has taken, and if we look back and we say it was built on a brand, uh, I don't want anybody to look or get to know me and misconstrue that it must be 
Jasmine Starr. And I just referred to myself in third person and that is so annoying. I know. I would look back and say that there is something that people see from themselves in me. Mm. And that I somehow carry a banner that the people who walk with a limp, people who, um, for all intents and purposes, are marginalized. I mean, perhaps they aren't the people who get funded. Perhaps they are the people who are slated not to succeed. Perhaps they are coming from a socioeconomic background or from a culture where success, male, female, non-binary, that they're overlooked and not seen. And then when I am able to stand on a stage and when I'm able to build a business, not by funding, but by bootstrapping, when I'm able to stand on stages with other people who have normally marginalized people of color and I get to stand there, people say, it's her. She's not the best and she's not the smartest and she's not the most qualified and yet she stands. They see a bit of the, I believe that impossibilities are possibilities in disguise. And if they see somebody like you can do it, then maybe somebody like me can do it too. And that's what I believe I stand under. And it's not me, but a representation of people's deepest desires to do that for themselves. I love that. There's so much strength in that. I think also a sense of self being, you know, the red thread, as you just described. Mm. Um, Is that a big part, you know, knowing that you are a Latina entrepreneur, there are countless disheartening stats about like, Mm -hmm. you know, the the fact that so many women of color or entrepreneurs of color are often given, you know, less opportunity to kind Mm -hmm. of jump into the space of entrepreneurship and grow their business. How are you sort of participating in that conversation right now? Right now, um, perhaps when you say a sense of self, perhaps I know that I'm not traditionally in like the tech sphere. I haven't done any fundraising. I've always believed, and perhaps it's how I was grown, is like a business is a business after you've proven what you can do and there's demand for it. I never believed that I could take money from somebody for something I didn't have. It's been highly transactionary for me. I believe I'm working quietly behind the scenes to not have to depend on somebody else's money, but to build demand and prove the demand so that if at some point in the future we decide to sell or not sell, that the prerogative remains entirely on my terms and I get to show what is possible when you're given nothing to begin with. Bootstrapping from the get-go. Like, Absolutely. You know, like the, I think that's a, it's a huge thing in some ways, thinking about, I, I was having a conversation with another female, in this, in this case, tech entrepreneur recently, about what 2020 has done, even in the tech space, because so much investment walked mm-hmm. away that a lot of people who used to think the only way to grow a business was by getting someone to give you a big slug of cash are having to rethink about how to scale a business. And so they're coming round to what it is that you've done, which is grow organically and deliberately and intentionally and get to scale a business in a way that reflects where the market's going without necessarily just a giant leg up and then someone also owning a big big chunk of your company. Absolutely. And I recently, just a few days ago, saw a stat that I don't know if funding went away in the way that people couldn't and this is, again, this is me on the outside. I'm sure that many people will snarl when they hear this. I don't know if funding went away for all people equally. Because it's like, if we look at what happened with Quibi, they had raised 1.8 and total women founders were funded a total of 1.9 in the same given period. 
it, I believe that the funding still is existing, but it's being taken from certain people and demographics mm. in a different proportion. And I think that that's part of the conversation. And again, I feel like I'm fully at right to say that because I'm an outsider. I have nothing to lose by saying this is just my opinion from my perspective, be it wrong or right. It's just how I see it. Yeah, I think, I think unfortunately, there's probably a great deal of truth to that. You know, it's a kind of like get robbing Peter to pay Paul kind of thing. Mm. Let's take a little pivot and talk, uh, funnily enough, about the word pivot. So, you know, it's easy to talk about how, you know, the, the success story side of the business, but it sounds like you have had to make some, you know, significant decisions along the path that you've taken as you've grown your business. Can you talk a bit about some of those moments where there have been challenges and that you have been forced to rethink how you operate? Yes, but there is a disclaimer. As a law school dropout, let me just tell you, I'll put disclaimers on disclaimers, is um, Brene Brown is famous. Love her. Who doesn't, right? She's like everybody's pretend best friend. She's my pretend best friend. One day she's going to be my real best friend. But she refers to it as gold-plated grit. The ability for us to take a situation, look back at it and tell everybody that was a really difficult time, but now it's great. And the hard part is actually talking about it when you're going through it and you haven't come out on the other side. And so right now, when we talk about pivoting, I am full on owning the fact that it really does look like gold-plated grit. I talk about all these instances and people say, that sounds so easy. And in the middle of it, you're like, my back is in the gutter and I'm staring at the stars. Where do I go? So I just want to put that out there that it sounds way more Disney-fied than it is in real life. I can look back at my professional career and professional career, very big air quotes. I did to start to start to formally, you know, come out and start a business in 2007. Mm-hmm. That's when I filed for my DBA. So I'm going to call that the first iteration. And the, the, the pivot that preceded that was making the declaration to not go back to law school, law school. Yeah. which, you know, for a first generation college grad, first generation postgrad, it's a big, big, big deal in a Latino family. And yet my family fully supported it and they wanted me to be happy. But that pivot then became, okay, how am I going to make money? What do I actually do? And once we kind of decided that that's where we were going to go full force, by 2008, the business had grown to such a degree that I turned to my husband and I said, I have to hire somebody to help me or, hey, maybe you want to join me. And he quit his job and joined uh, the photography business. And we were able to travel the world and do shoots and work with art directors. And it was a great experience. We really catapulted and we started teaching other photographers, not necessarily how to become better photographers, but how to run businesses. And um, our names quickly traveled within the creative community. And around 2012, people started asking me, can I hire you for consulting? What would you do? How do you build a brand? How do you market this thing on crazy social media? And what happened was I started creating content for business owners, period. Like, hey, everybody does one thing. We sell. We sell different things, but we all sell. And this is how you can make selling effective on social media. I started sharing that. By 2015, 2016, I decided to create courses dedicated courses to the thing that I learned for people who wanted to go deep. And that was a major pivot because Taylor Swift, I know we're quoting, we're quoting, we're quoting Taylor Swift and Brainy Brown in the same conversation. Who are we? But Taylor Swift says, when you chase two rabbits, you lose them both. 
Love and it. I started realizing that when I t- was taking my attention away from photography, it was doing a disservice to clients and editors. And I couldn't fully commit to moving into this direction of building a digital business, a digital business proper. Because mm-hmm. you have a website doesn't mean you have a digital business. It means you have a business online. And it was like, I had to make the clear distinction. I'm ready to go. I am ready to move. And that really happened for me in 2016. That was a major, 2015, that was a major pivot. So we stopped all things photography. Now, when I say this, it it really does not a humble brag, but just to set the landscape. We were the 1% of the 1% in a creative Mm -hmm. community. Mm -hmm. It seemed foolish to everybody, specifically our families who are like, Look at her. She thinks you're crazy. Like they thought I was crazy, full on bat trash loca. And I said, I believe in this. Like, I believe there's something here and I need just to focus on this. So my husband and I put all of our attention in that. And that was truly where we understood scale in an entirely different way. And it was a result as double downing on that. But by 2017, we saw very clear pressure points. And that's when we decided again to pivot. Now, at this point in time, we had done multiple in two years, multiple, multiple seven figures. Yeah. On, on, on digital courses. And when we decide to stop selling the digital courses, the familias came out again. It's <laughs> all over again. I was like, no, no, no. Trust us here. And keep trusting. Keep, keep well, trusting. Because you've proven yourself two times already. <laughs> oh my God. So the pivots all happened, but I do believe that I actually had this conversation this morning that at the moments that I feel truly, truly stuck, truly stuck, those were precedents to something that was coming and I couldn't allow myself to believe. Mm. So at the point of this recording, and I'm so happy we can get it documented, I'm going to come out and claim my truth. I feel stuck. (sighs) I feel stuck. And up until this morning, I was looking at feeling stuck as a boulder that was tied across my neck instead of a kite. Feeling Mm. stuck is the thing that's going to pull you. And the reason I feel stuck is because I have to learn the language of tech. And everything is learnable. I mustn't cower in the face of not knowing. I must decide, do you decide? Do you choose to do tech? Because if you do, you better come correct. You better learn what you need to learn. You need to understand and how to navigate what it means to double down in this. Because if you don't have a vision that is bigger than your doubts, you're going to be more down by Mm -hmm. your worst fears. Um, Talk to me a bit about what a lot of your clients right now are are coming to you with? What are the challenges that you're dealing with? Are they, are they different this year? Are they more extreme this year when it comes to, um, you know, the, 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 the stuckness that you're being confronted with for some of them? Yeah. So the nature of social curator is we are in closed enrollment. We open twice a year. At the time of this recording, we have 9,600 members. The membership is $49 a month. Mm-hmm. And so it's just enough to get the education and the resources that you need and just enough skin in the game so that we have a truly scalable model. I'm not doing one-on-one at this point in time in my career. Mm. Again, another pivot away from that, like cutting off revenue streams that people think are like, what and why? And I've, I've come to understand that I need to give 100% of my attention on the thing that will ultimately serve my highest self. And so what we have noticed in 2020 
was that specifically people in the creative community, people like photographers, videographers, graphic designers, people who are accustomed to doing and being more out and about have taken a hit. Mm-hmm. However, what they're doing as using this as a time of reset is mm-hmm. that they, it's just, we'll call it for what it is. It's easy to just pump out social content without really a strategy, without really the mechanisms, um, photographers, um, even life coaches, you can put out things and just show up on lives and say, this is what it is, but what's the strategy behind it? They've been using a lot of this year to lay a foundation and have a strategy. So all the time that there's like, I'm going to keep on, I'm going to now it's like, they have the time to do it. And we've noticed that the buy-in and participation and the, the, the metrics of people logging in and downloading and using the content has really escalated. So I think it's really shaping people who are truly entrepreneurs making the decision to show up in a different way. We see, have seen the exact same thing, uh, no matter the size of business. It's yeah. that there's an opportunity, sometimes born out of the stress of having to literally scale back business, but it is an opportunity to pause, reflect, and yep. look within truly um, to think about truly. what a brand stands for. What process are you sitting down with with clients? What, what three things would you say to a client who's having that moment of introspection, having to think more about what's at the core of their brand? How do you sit down with them and talk, that, talk them through that? So what we do at Social Curator isn't um, agency work. We're not looking and finding out objectives. We're looking at a 30,000 foot view of what is the common struggles and stresses that entrepreneurs are going through at this point in time. And how do we create resources on a scalable way? Because then it becomes a self-study. This is, Mm. we truly attract people who are going to do the work and not depend on somebody else to do it for them. We hold personal accountability as our highest um, user value. So what we've done, so for example, what we've seen a lot of rumblings are, oh, TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. And then when reels came, we then saw people say, okay, I can't, I can't push it off any longer. So what did we see? We saw the desire. I want to do something more in my business. And we saw the pressure point. I don't know how to show up, but then we have to ask ourselves the why, what does it mean for them to show up? Nobody wants to do more work. Nobody wants to show up on camera. Nobody wants to point at words. Nobody wants to dance. Nobody wants to do <laughs> funny me. Like they don't want to, but they're willing to do it. And our objective at social curator is to understand the why. And the why behind why somebody would go out of their comfort zone to do something is to number one, be confident an industry leader and find a way to move the needle in their business. So if we know the pressure point and then we know that that desire is going to be moored by the thing that they ultimately want. Our job is to create content and resources that facilitates the how to get the results. Mm-hmm. So every single month, and we, we work in, um, we work in three month uh, content creation periods. Like what do we anticipate? And then obviously social media is changing so much. It's like reels came out the point of this recording reel is reels is less than two months old. So immediately we pivoted. We're putting out content specifically for this and everything we do focuses on number one, personal accountability and then community accountability where we have threads in our group to say, okay, what's your wheel? Post a link in it. Let's see what you're doing. And you know, a little bit of peer pressure in a positive oh, way always works. I, I love that idea of the kind of the cohort accountability. You've got a kind of crowd of people who you want to prove yourself to. Yeah, I think that works extremely well. Are there any other things that you would say just kind of really have helped you drive, drive your business forward or, or that sum you up as an entrepreneur? And do you think those are, are good ones to have pulled? <laughs> 
<laughs> Absolutely. Like I couldn't, when you said them, it was like truth with a capital T, specifically in the order in which you listed them. I think it's important that when somebody hears me on a podcast or if somebody sees me on a stage, I think it's easy for somebody to assume that I must be extraordinarily confident, gregarious, and extroverted. And I am actually the antithesis of all of those things. I am a hundred percent, I am expert level introvert. I sweat profusely before stepping on a stage and I often talk myself out of the most basic decisions making. However, one of the things that I would add to that would be, I have the ability, even though I am a chatty Kathy on podcast, I do have the unique ability to keep my mouth shut the majority of the time. It's the listening that I think really dials in on my ability to pattern, recognize, to pivot. Um, I think that comes as a byproduct I grew up obese as a child. I didn't learn how to read until I was 11. I was homeschooled. I was distinctly behind the curve. As a daughter of immigrants, we didn't have money. So I found myself very strongly staying on the periphery of most situations. And at the time, I felt like it was a liability. And as an adult, it was the greatest gift that was given because very similar to the way that somebody might watch like um history channel or like the animal channel like the network where they have the narrator and then the cheetah goes over to the, the gazelle you know it's just like i spent years being like and then the man approaches the woman and casually touches her shoulder and what does that mean what does her face say what is the group of people doing it's truly a narrative in my mind that i've watching human behavior and still to this day watch if if people watching was an Olympic sport, I would be the Michael Phelps, truly. Well, and also, I mean, if anything, that not only does it mean that you understand your immediate audience, but it just gives you so much insight in terms of just, yeah, how people operate in order to advise clients as well. So cool. Um, one of the questions we ask all of our guests is in, to continue the theme of the building while flying uh, metaphor. It, a, you know, a pilot always has their her checklist before she takes off. So the pre-flight checklist to make sure that if anything was to happen in flight, you're kind of ready and able Mm. to adjust. What's your pre-flight checklist? Because, uh, Because I like to speak confidently about what I know, to say I had a life checklist would be wildly misleading. I could speak confidently about my daily checklist. If nothing else, I casually joke that I'm a stalker's dream. I love doing the same thing again and again and again. Um, (laughs) Systems have become so important to me and ingrained in who I am. Uh, My body, naturally, I wake up around 4.30 in the morning. I sleep anywhere from six to seven hours. That's my body. I don't wake up with an alarm. This is what I do. And I start my day by meditating and by praying and by reading. Very quiet, quiet the mind. That's, I realized that when I'm kind to my brain, my brain is kind to me. Mm. And so by 5 a.m., that's when things are going for me. So from 5 to 6 a.m., I'm going in, catching up on Slack and important emails, making sure nothing's burning because, I mean, it's real talk. You always feel like something's going to burn while I'm at sleep, while I'm sleeping. And then from 6 to 7, I work out. From 7 to 7.30, I'm with my daughter, feeding her, hanging out with her from until like 7.45. That's when I'm hopping in the shower, getting ready for the day. I'm back on my computer at 8.15 and I plow until six. Like this is my day minute by minute. And 
the way I am as religious about like starting my day with kindness is I have to respect that my husband is my business partner and mm. um, we need time to not be business partners and we need time to be life partners. And now parents have the amazing blessing of adopting a baby girl in February of this year. So that's been a big thing in our life is like learning how to not just be business partners and life partners, but to be parents together and closing the computer has been a very big part of that and making sure that like, that's the work day. You've given a great work day. Yes, I would like to work more, but it's been a good work day. So it's time for us to like be a family. That level of balance has been something that really tethers us as, as we grow. Oh, I, that's a wonderful combination. I think so important what you said about starting the day with quietness and kindness mm. and then the boundaries at the end so that you can mm. give your energy to family. Wonderful. And huge congratulations on your Thank daughter. You. That's Thank wonderful. You. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for letting me speak with you today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I so appreciate chatting to you. It's been marvelous. It has been amazing. You're fantastic. And your accent, like we could people watch and talk all day. And I'm like, I just feel smarter having this conversation. Just, you know, all day. Just feel free to send me voice memos anytime you want. Thank you a thousand times over. Please send my regards to James and the entire team. I'm very, I'm very thankful. I hope you enjoyed this conversation on the Building While Flying podcast. If you'd like to dive deeper into how to build a recognizable brand on social media and stand out from your competitors, serve your audience well, and turn your Instagram account into a lovely business growing machine, I can help you with my branding bundle. This bundle contains three of my most downloaded guides all in one place. Number one, the five things that should be in every business owner's bio. Number two, 10 lifestyle stock photos and 10 caption templates and three Instagram story sets. Come on, y'all. This is a step-by-step guide on how to use all of these things effectively for your business, as well as another amazing guide called three ways to take better photos for Instagram. You have to trust me. You are going to love reading these jam-packed guides. You're going to love the video tutorials and you're going to love filling out the workbooks to help implement what you're learning While you are building your branding game on social media, this entire branding bundle is free as a small way to say thank you from me to you. To download the bundle, simply head to jasminestar.com forward slash branding. I can't wait to see how you create a recognizable brand. Talk to you again soon. 